Good morning, everyone. Glad you're here this morning. I know, we're already starting. You can't give, we gave everybody noisemakers, so if you're like online and you hear these randomly in the service, they're being disobedient. So no, I haven't told them what to do with it, so it's like, ooh, I have this. Now I wanna, I wanna blow on it. I was walking around this morning blowing it before service. There's, there's a point to it, and we'll get to it in a moment. Um, real quick, just so you guys are aware, we say this each Sunday, but if you are new here at FX where you don't have a Bible, or you like have your children's Bible from back home and you want a decent Bible, we have these available. Um, and we'd like to, to bless you with one, just saying thank you for being here this morning. If you don't have a good Bible, these are actually really, really good Bibles. And so we'd love to give you one of those um, this morning if, if you need one. Uh, we are in our series in the book of Revelation. We've been going through it so far this fall. We will go through it all fall and it will commensurate, it'll be done um, at the end of the year, so December, right before Christmas. Christmas is actually on a Sunday this year, the 25th, um, but we are doing the book of Revelation. For those of you who've been here, you know that I've been avoiding doing the book of Revelation. We preach through the Bible. I've been avoiding the book of Revelation for a long time because the book of Revelation, the purpose of the book is what is on the screen, and that is to be a blessing. The problem is, I have a question mark there, because most of the time, when the book of Revelation is discussed, it doesn't end up being a blessing to people. It ends up being an argument. And everybody's arguing about when's it going to happen and what does this mean and what does that mean. Instead of recognizing that the purpose of John writing the book, he says at the beginning of the book, the one who reads this is blessed. Those who hear and keep it are blessed. And then at the end of the book, John says, blessed is he who heeds this book. So he literally says, blessed or happy are you if you read this book Hear this book, and if you keep your life properly, the way it's supposed to be kept, knowing that these things are coming and being confident in them. Like, that's the point of the book. It's not to understand the times or seasons and understand how it's all going to happen and have your charts and your maps. I know there are people that geek out on that and have fun with it. I'm not judging them. I'm just saying for the average person, and for me included, Jesus said this. His disciples asked him, when... Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you going to do it at this time? Like, tell us the time. How's it going to go down? Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the periods the Father has set by his own authority. He says, you're not going to know. So stop. Don't worry about it. He does say, instead of worrying about how everything's going to work out and being scared and crazy about things, he says, how about you worry about this? You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. In other words, the word there is martyr. You're going to go out and tell people about what's coming and how blessed you are and how happy you are to know what the purpose of the world is and to know the purpose of the end and all of it. You're going to be so excited about that. You can't contain it because there's going to be a spirit in you. It's got to get out and you're going to go everywhere and tell people. How about you worry about that and not about like, is this the thousand year reign? And is this the tribulation? And what's this? And this sign? Does that comment say Jesus is coming? Like, stop. Jesus has given us marching orders just like he did to his apostles. And he said, You really want to be blessed? Do this. That's the pathway to blessing. And know that if you know the end of the story, you can be confident to go tell people and witness of the truth. That's the point of Revelation. So this week, we pick back up. Oh, I dropped my noisemaker. These are the last few series that we went through. This week, last week we talked about who is able to stand, and we talked about the fact that those who know Jesus are able to stand before him because he says they can't. This week, trumpets, i.e., your trumpet. Okay? That's what we're talking about this week, trumpets. Um, We we read as we pick up in chapter 7, there have been these seals that were open, these seven seals that were opened, and each seal laid something out, and we saw this as we walked through it. Each seal laid out a judgment because judgment is coming. God is doing an orderly thing. He's doing his order that he does. He has an order to things. He just doesn't randomly do stuff. He's not like sitting in heaven one day and goes, oh, I guess I'll do this today. Like, God has an order to how he's interacting with you and I and with creation. And it may not seem like it, but he is in complete control. Complete control. So we read in chapter 7, verse 1. Here's where we pick up the story. After this, you see that word after this a lot. In other words, 
Remember, John is writing this book. He's seeing all these visions. He's seeing all these pictures of things, okay? John's trying to describe things that he can't describe because he doesn't have words in his language to describe them. He's just kind of, this is what it looks like. It looks like this. It looks like that. It sounds like this. It sounds like that. He's doing the best he can to describe accurately But just like if you tried to describe to someone from the 15th century about an iPhone, how would you describe that in their terms, right? Because they don't even know what phone means. They're like, what phone? What phone mean? Well, you know, it's got a screen on it. What's a screen? Well, it's got chips in it. What, fish and chips? No, no. Like, Like, they have no ability. Like, you have to start over with all these things we take for granted. And so, When John writes this, he says, so after these things happen, now there's something else getting ready to happen. There's an order. There's a sequence. This isn't just random. God's just not like, I'm mad, and I'm going to go through the house and tear stuff up. He's like, nope, I've been planning this, and my wrath is finally time to to go out, and I'm going to save the last of those that will be saved, and finally judgment will come to make things right again, which we all long for, right? Chapter 7, after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. So like north, south, east, west. Like they're, it, it represents all the earth. There aren't four corners to the earth. It's not flat. Okay, just, just so we're clear. And then he says, and again, as you read this, remember, Revelation is both literal and symbolic. We'll talk about that more in a second. It's both. It's both literal and symbolic. And you think, well, what can't be literal and symbolic? Everything is literal and symbolic. Our whole lives are that way, right? Like that is literally an American flag and it is very symbolic of a lot of stuff. (laughs) The stripes represent different things that symbolize the blood and, you know, the freedom and the 50 stars. Like the American flag is both a literal flag that represents a real nation and it is symbolic in all of its parts and components. Does that make sense? That's the same way when we read scripture. It can be both, and God typically uses simple things like a flag, like a trumpet, to declare very complicated things. That's what he does, to get our attention, because we're like kids. We need a very simple definition to the very complex. So he gives us very simple, literal symbols, things, to declare bigger things. So he says, no wind could blow on the earth or the sea Or on any tree. Wind is always representative of destruction and judgment. You don't think so? Think about Puerto Rico right now. And those that are facing hurricanes as we go into hurricane season. There's nothing that gets the attention of an entire country, an entire island, or an entire peninsula like Florida than a hurricane warning. The winds are coming. And there's nothing that freaks you out more than when everything is quiet and still and there is no wind. And you're like, oh, that's not normal. Like where I grew up, it's one of the flattest parts of Indiana. Flat. I mean, look out my back door, I can see 40 miles of cornfield. Like flat as flat can be. I mean, crazy flat. Everything's laid out in a grid pattern. Like I never had to worry about getting lost because you just went to the next road, turned, because it was all literally like a grid because it was so flat. When you look at that and when you think of how that's laid out and the, and the exactness of all of that, and you look at what he's saying here, he's saying, look, when we grew up and you're out there in flat land and there's windmills everywhere and none of the windmills are turning, it typically means there's a lot of heat and you're dying or something big's getting ready to happen. It's the still before the storm. So he says, it's that still before the storm. So yes, the winds are both symbolic, but it's literally, things stop. It's that moment of, whoa, what's going on? Then he says, then I saw another angel who had the seal of the living God rise up from the east. So again, an angel is a messenger. That's what the word angel means, by the way. It means messenger. So I saw another messenger rise up. We think of angel, and immediately when we read that, we think of like white wings, right, glowing. That's not what an angel, an angel is a messenger. That's, That's what he's saying. So another messenger rose up. We don't know what kind of angel this was. He cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who were empowered to harm the earth and the sea. So these angels, these four angels, have been given authority and power to use the earth to get the attention of mankind. 
There's nothing that gets our attention more than when the earth doesn't work well for us. Right? Drive home and hit a pothole today. A big one. And lose a tire. It will change your day. Right? May change your pocketbook if you bend a rim. It'll change everything for a while. It gets your attention. Because there wasn't supposed to be a hole there. And so the only way, God's finally come to the point that the only way he can get mankind's attention, because he's tried every way. He sent his son. His son died. His son came back to life. He sent the church. The church has been preaching the gospel. He sent blessing. He sent crops. He sent food. He sent all of these things. And finally, people could care less about God. He's like, fine, I'll give you what you want then. I'll, I'll fully turn the creation and the land over to you and what you've done to it, basically, is what's happening. Then he goes on. Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we seal the slaves of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the Israelites. So the angels are getting ready to do judgment. And at that moment, when the judgment's going to come, and it's like, this is the great tribulation, and it's all going to be poured out, God says, hold on. I've made a covenant and a promise from the Old Testament to my people. I have to keep my promises before judgment comes. And so I'm going to keep my promise to the tribes of Israel, and I'm going to deliver a certain number. Now, a lot of commentators, there's some that would try to make this the church, right? They'd say, well, well, it's not talking literally about Israel. It's talking about God's people, the church. It's not. It's talking about Israel. If he says Israel, he means Israel. He doesn't mean the church. Otherwise, he would have used the word church or bride like he does later when he said, I'm going to bring my bride in, the church, right? He is specifically talking. He wants everyone to know that before I judge, I am going to be a God who completes and upholds my covenants every single time. I will not fail. And that's why this is here. It's why it's written here. And commentators who have tried to make this about the church or make it something that other what it literally is have come up with things like the Jehovah's Witness. The Jehovah's Witnesses was a group of Christians who then became apostates because they no longer believed in salvation by God. But then they said there would only be actually 144,000 who were going to be saved by their little cult. And then what happened is they got more than 144,000 people after a few years, and so they had to make up another 144. And then they got bigger than 288,000, so they had to make up another 144. See, this is what happens when you take things literally that are meant symbolically, and then you don't take literally what it really means, and you make up another literal interpretation of what it doesn't mean. He is talking about a miraculous moment where because of the judgments that have already been poured out from the seals, because of what we read from chapters 1 through 6, there is a group of Israelites who have woken up to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and we need to repent. And we need to make him known in the world before the end comes. There is a group of Israelites that God has brought into him and now they are responding. They're ready to go. That's what's going on here. Now he lists out, oh, before we do that, what you have to realize is he says they're sealed. Whenever you read the word sealed on their foreheads, what that means is both, yes, they're sealed by God because of what he's done, because of what they have chosen, right? Free will versus predestination. You know, destination. Does God save people or do we save people or do we make a choice or does God? Yes. Yes. Like I have never walked up to someone to share the gospel and be like, do you feel like God, Jesus, is on you? I asked them, do you want to make a decision in your mind, with your heart, to surrender your life to Jesus? And if they say yes, then I say, okay, well, I think that's God's working. But then the fruit has to play out over time to see if it really was God or if they accepted, you know, Jesus' genie. You know, and they, they, when they accepted Jesus, they thought he was a genie. You rub the bottle and he pops out and gives them what they want. And then he stopped giving them what they want, so they stopped following. Oh, well, you didn't accept Christ. You accepted something else. So yes, it's both. I don't know how they work together. God hasn't revealed that. But I'm called to go out into the world like these 144 are going to go out into the world and make Jesus known. 
And so when they say you've been sealed, it's the idea of being anointed. In the Old Testament and throughout the scriptures, you would be anointed with oil. Anytime the Holy Spirit's involved or a seal is involved, it's that idea of anointing someone with oil. It it refers an authority telling you, you are important, you are cherished, you are set apart. And that's what this means. These people are set apart for God. Now, there's a lot of argument. Is this actually 144 literal thousand people? Oh, yeah, probably. But if it isn't, do I look at God and go, how dare you put 144,000 and it wasn't exact? Like, there's also symbols of what this represents. The issue is God is keeping his covenant. God is doing this and he's saying, I don't want anything to be poured out until the people know that are getting ready to go through it that I'm with them. They got to know I'm with them. And they got to know that, that I love them and they are sealed and they are mine. And once they know that, we're good. It's time to go. That's exactly what's happening in this passage. Now, today, if you were unaware, is Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the Feast of Trumpets. It's listed in Numbers 29. It is the announcement of the Days of Awe. This is an Old Testament thing that God did. God told his people that they would travel, males, they would travel to Jerusalem three times a year. He told them, when you travel to Jerusalem, here's what's going to happen. You're going to celebrate these things. And every time in the Old Testament there was ever an announcement of a high holy day or a Sabbath, there were always trumpets that were blown. And there were multiple types of trumpets in the Old Testament. These trumpets that were blown were like these these. Silver trumpets that God had Moses fashion. So these silver trumpets that they would blow. They also had the ram's horns, the shofars they would blow. And and so throughout Israel's history, this idea of a trumpet being blown was an announcement. Do you realize that a few years ago, look up this online, it'll freak you out if you didn't already know it. A few years ago, people started recording and sending um, recordings of strange trumpet noises being heard around the globe. Science still hadn't figured out what they are. They think it's maybe the earth moving and plates shifting or gas releasing somewhere or something. Maybe it is. But why didn't I hear that when I was a kid? Why now are we hearing this? Well, maybe God's getting ready to say, here, earth, I'm turning you over to these, like, you're done. Like the earth is making noises and we don't know why. The Bible says the earth will make noises and you can know why. Sometimes it makes noises just to announce something that's happening right now. Maybe it's a future announcement. But look online. Take some time today if you've got a few minutes and look up weird trumpet noises. And it'll freak you out. High, low, rumblings. Some of them came with earthquakes and shaking. I'm not making this up. It's all on video. You can watch it online. <laughs> like NASA got involved and was trying to explain this. They had NASA after it for a while. There are things we don't understand and we will never understand. There are things God can do that no one else can do and that we can't repl- replicate. And so this idea of Rosh Hashanah, are you ready for this, is the idea of God announcing. See, Rosh Hashanah is the new year. It's actually not the Jewish New Year, though. It's actually this weird event where it's the Jews announcing to the world that there's a new year coming. The Jewish New Year is actually Passover. The start of the actual Jewish calendar and cycle of events is actually Passover. The announcement of the new year to the rest of the world is actually Rosh Hashanah. You think, well, that's weird. It's actually not. You see, our new year starts because of what Jesus did for us. We've been born again. We are new. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, and when Jesus died for me, he passed over my sin and brought me back to life and delivered me from slavery, and that is day one for me. 
After that is this idea of unleavened bread, seven days. It celebrates the journey of the children of Israel wandering through the desert and allowing God to deal with all of their sin and all the idols they cling to in Egypt they had to throw off and get rid of as they traveled through the wilderness because they couldn't take it with them. And then you've got the first fruits. That's the celebration of resurrection or the first fruits that were brought in from the harvest. And then you have Shavat, which is the festival of weeks or Pentecost, which is the counting of the Omar 49 days to the day when on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, God delivered the word of God to Moses for the people to then go out and declare that word to the world Until Rosh Hashanah comes, when you declare to the world, you better get ready because there are 10 days of awe. You've got 10 days left before the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, it's over. That's The the atonement's going to happen for the sins of the world and the sins of the people. That's what the Day of Atonement was, to atone for the sins that had been committed since Passover. And then you're going to have after the 10 days and after the Day of Atonement, you have the Feast of Tabernacles. Five days after Yom Kippur. So you have the Day of Atonement where the priest goes in, he sacrifices for the sins of the people. For five, you, five days later, you have the Feast of all feasts. The days of the tabernacles or booths. And the children of God would go out and they'd build temporary shelters. They still do this in Israel. they build temporary shelters or booths and they would go out and eat all their meals together. they cut a hole in the, in the top of it to signify God is going to come down and actually eat with them at the table. This is all a picture of Revelation. God is doing an order in Revelation in line with what he's laid out all the way through the Old Testament. This isn't hard to figure out or see the symbolism here. It's all over the place. God isn't just randomly like, oh, here's seven seals and seven this and that. that." He's like, no, there's a pattern. He's announcing to the world, Rosh Hashanah has been announced. The day is coming when he's sealing his people and it will be no more. And there's a day when we get to the end of the book of Revelation where it's the Feast of Tabernacles where it says, Jesus says, come and eat at my table for the rest of your life. Because that's the end of the Jewish calendar. It ends on tabernacles. It's over. You just eat forever with God. Exactly. So again... All of this was announced with trumpets. Pick up your trumpet. You ready for this? You've been waiting. I know you have. So you're chilling one day and you've forgotten what day it is. Like you walked in here today, most of you didn't know it was Rosh Hashanah. You had no idea that people for thousands of years have been celebrating this new day to announce to the world, hey, you better get ready. You got 10 days of awe. 10 days of awe, meaning like get the sin out of your life, give glory to God, get ready because he's going to atone for you. He's coming back. He's going to pay the price. So let's play. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. I'm sure this is not what the trumpets sound like, but it's the best I could get. Okay? Uh, Okay, you can stop. So that's, you'll get to blow them again. That's the Feast of Trumpets. It would get your attention, Right? You wouldn't be able to ignore it. You're not able to talk over it. You're like, oh, I hear the trumpets. What does that mean now? That's exactly what's happening here. Numbers says this. This is what Numbers says. Numbers 10.10. You are to sound the trumpet over your burnt offerings, your fellowship sacrifices, on your joyous occasions, your appointed festivals, and the beginning of each of your months. This will serve as a reminder for you before your God that I am Yahweh. The word Yahweh means I am. It means I was, I am, I will be. That's what his name means. I'm everything. All time is me. I am Yahweh, your God. So, he says, you are to use a trumpet whenever you make a burnt offering. Whenever you have fellowship and do a fellowship sacrifice and invite people over, sound a trumpet. Anytime you have a joyous occasion and you just want to let people know, blow a trumpet. And then he says, every time you have an appointed festival, blow trumpets. All the way, he said, every time a new month starts, (laughs) blow your trumpet. 
I want you to get used to the sound of this because it's coming. And I don't want you to be afraid like everybody else is when they hear it. You won't have a single fear because when you hear it, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I know what that means. I'm ready. I've been getting ready for this my whole life. I'm so ready. And so many Christians, when they read the book of Revelation and they see this stuff, they get freaked out. They get afraid. They're scared. What's going to happen? We're supposed to be like joyous. Like this is, yes, finally these trumpets are going to get blown and we don't have to put up with this stuff anymore. And, and we know that God is good, so he'll save everyone that's willing to be saved before he does it. That's why the 144,000, he's going to, to, to bring in every single person he can. I don't have to be afraid. But it's my job to announce every time with my life I'm announcing myself as a believer and what God has done in my life. And I'm constantly putting things in my life as reminders, a quiet time each day. Get up for your quiet time with your roommates and, ah, okay, I gotta have a quiet time, just announcing, ready to go. They'll be like, dude, it's five in the morning. I know, isn't it great? You're ready. He goes on. He says, 12,000 sealed from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from Reuben, 12,000 from Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simon, uh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. That's each of the tribes of Judah, except Joseph isn't mentioned because Manasseh and Ephraim, if you know the Old Testament, they were the ones that, that got the name. Joseph said, I want my sons to be given the land and the name. And so he bestowed that on his sons. That's why Manasseh. So that represents Joseph. And then the tribe of Dan is not mentioned here. Dan was actually the tribe in the Old Testament that brought most of the idolatry, the Bible says, into Israel. They were the idolatrous tribe. Now later... When the end comes, we'll see at the end of the book of Revelation, Dan is still given a portion of their land. Dan isn't forgotten. It's like, like you're done and you can never come back. It's at this moment, there's no one from Dan willing to repent because they're still in their idolatry. But when the final end comes, I will remember Dan. And around Jerusalem, when I divvy up the land, Dan will, the tribe of Dan will still have their land because I'm a God of my promises. It's a beautiful picture. It's why Dan is left out because everybody would see Dan left out and think, oh no, the tribe of Dan, I don't know. They're in trouble. And later God's like, no, they're not. I got that. But I couldn't give them this pass. He says, after this I looked and there was a vast multitude from every tribe, people, and language which no one could remember standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were robed in white with palm branches in their hands. Where do we hear about palm branches? Oh, that's right. Palm Sunday when Jesus came into Jerusalem. And what were they doing? They were taking off their cloaks, taking off their robes and laying them down for Jesus as he walked into waving palm branches. It's going to happen again one day. That we're going to be waving and being like, oh, this is awesome. We just be cooled off. You're great. You're awesome. Like, this is awesome. Been waiting for this day. And they're going to be cry out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who has sealed, or who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. There's no other way. Before this judgment comes, God declares there is no other way by which to be saved except by the Lamb who pays the price and you have to go through the throne of judgment. There's no other option. And if you stand before the throne without the Lamb, you're toast. And you cannot stand with the lamb and not be willing to be a sacrificial lamb yourself when God says, your flesh is done, but I'll give you a new body. That's the picture of this. And it says, look, the reason the trumpet's blown on Rosh Hashanah is to announce to the world, God says, when this first trumpet gets ready to be blown, when all of this gets ready to happen, I looked and I recognized that God had fulfilled his covenant by bringing all nations in, which is now why the judgment's coming. Because he's done his job. And his people have obeyed him. It is a beautiful picture. He goes on says this, All the angels stood around the throne and the elders 
the four living creatures, and they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Amen means so be it, you bet, all right, let's go. That's what amen means, okay? Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength to be to our God forever and ever, amen. This is what they always say. Everything's God. Every blessing, every good thing, every glory, we don't get anything. It's not for my name, for my pride. Every wisdom, any knowledge that we have, any thanksgiving we give is all directed because it's all his honor. It's all his power. It's all his strength. And without it, we got nothing. That's what they're declaring before judgment. This is what we declare to people before they have to stand before judgment. You're going to have to stand in judgment. There's a lamb who paid the price. His name is Jesus. He paid the price for you. That's Passover. Like, we take them through the story of God. And he says, when you go through this, this is what you'll do. You you give the glory, give the wisdom to people, he says. Then one of the elders asked me, who are these people robed in white and where did they come from? This is a rhetorical question because the guy knows. He's looking at John and saying, hmm. Who are these people dressed in white? Where did they come from? I said to him, sir, you know. John could have said, well, I think they're, uh, I think they're really cool angels. I think they're uh, the uh, four friends of, you know, Abraham or something. John doesn't make something up, which is what we do in the book of Revelation. John admits it, goes, I have no idea. Could you please do that with the book of Revelation? Just say, I don't, I don't know, I have no idea. Good question, don't know. Do you know, sir? Actually, I do. He goes on, he says, then he told me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night. In other words, these are the people that chose to accept Jesus and the cost, and it cost them everything. They chose to surrender their lives to Jesus and said, Jesus, I am yours. I am done. I surrender. And they're going to be given a white robe to wear because of how he washed them clean. And all day and night, They're going to be serving and worshiping and just enjoying the big celebration. I've said it before, like when your football team wins and everybody's cheering. It's like, that's that's it. We all got the jersey on and we're like, woo That's what they're going to be doing. It's really fun, actually. People pay a lot of money to go do it. Right? Pay a lot of money to go to football games. Their whole family comes. It's like $1,000, right? Way better than a football game. We know who the winner's going to be. It's even better. Like, my team's always going to win. This is awesome. Bring in anybody. My team always wins. And he says the great tribulation. There's a lot of debate over what the tribulation is, how long it lasts, and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to give you three simple things, definitions. There is pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation. What this means is, pre-trib is the idea that before all this judgment comes, God's going to take out his people. He's going to take out the church before any of this happens. Then there are those who believe that at some point during the mess of what's getting ready to happen, God's going to take his church out. And there are those who believe that after this all happens, post the tribulation, the mess that's getting ready to happen, God's going to take his church out. We as a church do not take a stand on which one that is. Because I don't know. I will take a stand on Jesus being the only way to salvation, being the Lamb of God, being all the things that God tells me. God hasn't told me. Christians have argued about this for generations. When's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? There's also the whole millennial issue. And so are you post-millennial, pre-millennial? We'll talk about that later. Here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a tribulation. It's going to be really bad. People are going to have to go through it. You might, you may not. I don't know. Guess what? If you die before any of this starts, you didn't go through it anyway. So what's it matter? You had to live your life in the mess we're in. Amen. So so there's different views on this, but I'm not going to argue about it. I'm just going to say, yeah, there's a tribulation. It's going to be really bad. It's going to be an unprecedented judgment. It's getting ready for for the second coming of Christ, and it's going to be bad. And I don't know if I'm going to have to go through it. I'm just going to trust God. I don't know if I'm going to get out in the middle of it. I'm just going to trust God. I don't know if I'm going to get out before it. I'm just going to trust the Lord. 
Please do the same. Okay, moving on. He says, the one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any heat. For the lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. See, God doesn't let us know when the tribulation's happening, but he does let us know exactly who we can go to when tribulation is going on in our life. There is a one seated on the throne who knows how things are going to go down and has it all ready, and he is going to shelter. That's tabernacles. He is going to shelter them. And they are no longer going to hunger. Why? Because you're sitting at the tabernacle table. And there's no sun on you because you're sheltered. That's the point. We don't know how all this is going to happen, but you can absolutely be certain that Jesus will do this for you. And if you're a part of a good body of Christ, that he will use other members of the body of Christ, the church, to help you with this. They will be there for you doing this on your behalf because they love you and care about you and they're not going to leave you alone. He goes on, he says this, when he opened the seventh seal, remember we'd opened six, now we're up to the seventh seal, right? He opens the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Tune in. There has never been silence in heaven until this moment that we know of. This is a big deal. The angels and all of created, this is a This is a moment where it's like the winds have stopped on the earth and heaven just. Try sitting silent for 30 minutes in our culture today. Try it today. Put on some noise-canceling headphones with nothing playing. And just try to sit silent for 30 minutes and see how you do. You'll probably fall asleep. They don't fall asleep. They're anticipating. If you don't fall asleep, you'll be like thinking about the thousand things and looking around and like jittery. There's just this awe, this silence. And then it says, then I saw the seven angels who stand in the presence of God and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a large amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the gold altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up in the presence of God from the angel's hands. This idea of incense is always this idea that finally the prayers will be answered fully. That's what this means. The first angel is coming before the seven trumpets blow to say all the prayers that have been offered, all the things that were offered in God's name, all the things you didn't think would ever happen that you never saw in your lifetime, they're happening now. All the prayers are being completed and everything's going to be made right. That's what this first angel's doing. He is getting the incense ready. He's, he's making sure everything's covered before the judgment. God is making sure every prayer that could ever be offered has been offered before the judgment comes. What a loving God. What a patient God. And he sends this angel out to do it. You think your prayers don't have any impact? There's coming a day when the silence of heaven will be broken with your prayers. Your prayers will be incense. And everyone will hear the prayers and smell and the aroma and be like, oh, this is awesome. You see, the great part about God is he uses all the senses to get our attention. Eyes. He says, look and see. He says, hear the trumpets. Smell the aroma. See, God uses all of the senses we have to get our attention so that we'll surrender to him. But we have to surrender each sense to him. Now we get to the trumpets. The angel took the incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. There were rumblings of thunder, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. He takes all the prayers and he says, okay, all the prayers are coming down. It's time to do it. 
All the prayers of when are you going to make things right, God. All the psalms that say, why do the wicked prosper? All the psalms of when are you going to restore? When are you going to do this? The angel's like, boom, and it's there. Boom. And it says the entire earth shook at this moment. Is it literal? Probably. Who knows if there's, there's going to be like meteorites coming down? I don't know. It's going to get people's attention. But they get ready to blow the trumpets. And remember, Numbers 29.1 says, You're to hold a sacred assembly in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, and you're not to do any work. This will be the day of joyful shouting for you. Joyful shouting. God says it's going to be a day of joyful shouting. What joyful shouting? This will be a day of joyful shouting. Offer a burnt offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It's the incense. One young bull, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old, all unblemished, with their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, six quarts, the bull, four quarts with the ram, and the two quarts of each with the seven male lambs. Also offer one male goat as a sin offering to make your atonement for yourselves. These are in addition to the monthly and regular burnt offerings with their prescribed grain offerings and drink offerings. They are a pleasing aroma, a fire offering to the Lord. That's the beginning of Rosh Hashanah. Numbers 29.1 is describing Rosh Hashanah. It says it right there. It's the feast of the new year. This is what it is. It's the declaration. And there's going to be incense. Like this new thing's getting ready to happen. You're going to smell it. Everything. And all these offerings, they, every time there was an offering, they'd be like, I mean, if you were one of the, you'd get out of breath. Because everybody's bringing all these offerings. It says every time an offering's made, some priest is over there going, (laughs) has to blow the horn the whole time to announce this person's forgiven, this sin is done away with. This is, that's the whole thing. Again, God's just following what he's already done. All these things that God tells his people to do in the Old Testament are just pictures. They're symbols of what's going on in heaven. That's all they are. Now John is given a glimpse to see heaven, and it's like, oh, that's why that's there in the Old Testament, because that's the way heaven works. Oh, that's the way the temple works and the throne works in heaven. That's why we have a mercy seat. That's why we have a throne and a holy of holies. Oh, that makes so much sense now. And we read Revelation like, what's going to happen? Is that a, is that a comet? Is the earth going to split open and my house going to get sucked up? Like, ugh. No, it's a picture of the glory of God from the Old Testament. He goes on and he says this. Then the first angel blew his trumpet. Okay, blow. Here we go. Okay, there we go. No hail and fire. Good. Okay, hail and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth. So a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. This is something that happens, that hail and fire, this idea that comes. Now, Some commentators say this could easily be described by nuclear war. How would John describe a nuclear bomb? Watching it come out of the sky with a tail on it and blowing up and like seeing this great... How's he going to describe... Man, that's the biggest piece of hail I've ever seen in my life. And it made a really big fire. Hail and fire. It could be actual meteors that come from the earth and God just opens up the meteor belt and comes through. We don't know, but it says a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and the grass, like this is devastation. Why? To get our attention. Hey, I got your attention yet? Obviously not because he has to send another trumpet. Here we go, second trumpet. The The second angel blew his trumpet. Thank you. Something, something like a great mountain. Do you see that? He doesn't say a great mountain. He says something like a great mountain, ablaze with fire, was hurled into the sea. That sounds like a meteor. Now, giant piece of rock coming through the sky and hits the sea. And it says, so a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Have you ever noticed how when there's a lot of Pollution in the air, the sky is red. That's the first trumpet. And have you ever noticed, have you ever heard a red tide where when there's enough algae and stuff are stirred up, they get a red tide and it kills all the fish? And we have it all over the place. It happens all the time in our culture and in our world today. Like this is all possible for God to do and people to excuse it and say, ah, it's just red tide. 
Ah, you know, they just pushed the button and we pushed it back. It's just how, you know, it's just us humans. What God is doing is turning us over to ourselves into creation. He's saying, you don't want what I've been holding back. But I'm not holding back. I'm not protecting you anymore. I'm allowing creation with its groaning to scream and bring it down on your head. And even you... I'm allowing you to go after one another. And all these are symbolic too. All of these symbolize different things of our culture. How God throws down leaders. Satan was called the the great morning star that came from heaven and was thrown down to earth. So this is also symbolic as much as it is literal. It's both and to try to get our attention. And God has given us all these symbols so we might repent. He goes on and he says this, the third angel blew his trumpet. Good job. And a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from heaven. It fell on a third of the rivers and springs of waters. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wordwood. So men, Wormwood. So many of the people died from the waters because they had been made bitter. Have you ever been to Chernobyl lately? No, you haven't. You want to know why? Because it's an uninhabitable space. Because the radiation has made all the water bitter, and all the land bitter. You can't live there. That was from one reactor. One. We have thousands of reactors around the globe. And bombs. This is not hard to do. He goes on and he says, the fourth angel blew his trumpet There you go. And a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day was without light and the night as well. We don't know how fast these things happen. The Bible doesn't tell us that. If it's going to happen in seven days or what, it just says they're going to happen. It could be that all this kind of happens at once. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if you had all this happen and all this radiation and debris, yeah, the sky would get dark. You wouldn't be able to see stuff. Again, God is saying, hey, I want to get your attention, please. Then I looked and heard an eagle flying high overhead, crying out in a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining trumpet blast that the three angels are about to sound. I wonder if this is, uh, if this is, uh, Elian, uh, if, if this is Musk's, what, what does he call his, uh, Internet system that flies around the globe that he can fly around. What? Starlink? Okay. Star. Wait. Starlink. I want to say Skynet because that's from Terminator, but that's wrong. Although, anyway, okay. So maybe this is Starlink sending out signals to everybody. Hey, it's really bad. Been flying around telling you, hey, things are dying. Find shelter. 411, you know, 911, you know, your Amber Alert going off. I mean, it's crazy. I don't know. But it's possible. John's got to describe it some way, but he's just like, woe, woe to those who live on the earth. This is bad. And he says, woe to you because you think it's bad with the four trumpet blasts. Look at what John says. There are three more coming. There are three more coming. You thought this was bad? This is nothing compared to what God. So literally, this angel is going around saying, there's still a time. Hello? Does God have your attention yet? He's blown trumpets. He's sent all this stuff. Are you willing to repent now, or are you still going to be in your pride and be like, I'm my own man. I can fix this. We can fix the radiation. We can fix that. We can... Or are you going to finally just say, oh, save us, please, Which will it be? And you know, because how bad did it have to get for you to finally surrender your life in different areas of your life? How many of you surrendered your life one day because it was just so great, you woke up and were like, I just want to surrender more of my life today to God because it's so awesome. That's not what we do. I wish it were, but that's typically not what we do with God. He has to use these things to get our attention. But you know what the beauty of this is as we wrap up? The beauty of this is if you remember, when we started this passage, he said that there are going to be those that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb who are before the throne, 
who are covered and taken care of. And they don't have to worry when the sea turns to blood. They don't have to worry when it goes. They know where they're going and they know that the body they have is not their permanent body. It's just temporary. It's going to die anyway. So what? I survived this meteor. There's something else going to get me. I don't know if you know that. Something's going to get you eventually. I don't know what it is. Something's going to get me. I don't know what it is. I can spend all my time worrying about it. The world wants me to worry about it so they can sell me products to try to prevent a problem I don't even know I have and I probably don't have. Something's going to get you. Does God have your attention yet? Are you ready? Do you understand that God says, I am trying to get your attention because I want you to come before the throne to the Lamb. I want you to not be afraid and I want you to know that there is judgment But I can forgive and I can give you new. That's the message of this and how it's going down. It's very similar to the message that Jesus said. Jesus said this. Go back, sorry. Jesus said, as they were eating, this is the Passover, Jesus took bread. Blessed and broke it. He just took normal bread, the normal substance of everyday life that you probably have on your counter. And when you don't, you're like, somebody get a loaf of bread and milk. Like, it's like the two things our culture runs to. Milk and bread, go get it. Do we need it? I don't know. We don't have any cereal and we got no butter, but get milk and bread. Right? I mean, I don't know how many times we've run to the store and gotten milk and bread and be like, oh, we don't have any cereal. (laughs) You've never done that? We have. He breaks this common thing and he breaks it. And he says, this is a blessed piece of bread. Not because it's any different than any other bread. Now, this was unleavened bread, so there was no yeast in it, right? So it's kind of like a cracker, flaky stuff. It was broken because this was the Passover meal, and they didn't eat leaven because leaven represented yeast, or leaven or yeast represents sin. And it ferments, and a little bit of yeast Infects everything. So they would work hard to make sure no yeast got into this bread to remind themselves that we want to eat from a sinless bread. Then it goes on. He said he gave it to his disciples. Jesus didn't take the bread and say, this is mine. He said, here, let's all share together. Let's share together. And then he says, take and eat it. This is my body. That would have freaked you out. As a Jew, you'd have been like, what? Is he like, do do we smoke stuff now? Like, does the incense have some, I don't know. (laughs) The incense a little THC. Jesus is a little high right now. Like, eat my body. Like, what's going on? It's symbolic. He's saying every piece of bread you've ever eaten was provided because I chose to create you according to Colossians 1. He is the great creator. So every piece of bread that's ever been made has been made because Jesus continues to say, I give, I give, I give. And there's coming a day when he says no more and he pulls back. But at this moment, he's like, take and eat. I'm still giving. And he said, then he took a cup after he gave thanks Look at what he did. He took the blood, the cup that represents the blood, and he gave thanks for it. It wasn't like this solemn, it was like, thank you that we have something we can drink that we don't have to worry about will poison us because their water could poison them in their day because they didn't have filtration and purification systems. You think our algae is bad. Wine was fermented, and so because of the fermentation process, it was clean. It was safe. It was bottled. It was inspected. It was cared for. So he says, take this. And he said, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood. This represents symbolically. So yes, my blood is what's going to save you, and this wine now will represent symbolically for all of eternity what I've done and it establishes a new covenant and it's shed for many for the forgiveness of sins it's shed for you and for all of them out there anyone that will come and eat come and look come and taste come and smell 
He says, what I'm doing with my body, what I'm getting ready to do on the cross, this is the night before he is crucified. He says, what I'm getting ready to do is establish a new way of relating to God. All of the Old Testament was designed to point to this moment. Every grain sacrifice, every animal sacrifice was to come to this moment and say, all of it comes around Jesus. The original fruit that Eve took that brought sin, now the fruit of this vine will bring life. Everything's been made new. And that's what communion is. It is a time to recognize our blessing. It's a time to do it together. You don't do it properly. Privately, it's a time to give thanks for what God has done that we can't do for ourselves and that we thank him for the people around us that help us remember this. And it reminds us that we have been established so when Revelation and the seven seals and the four trumpets are blown, I don't have to be scared. I'm forgiven. I've been made new. And it also reminds me that there are those out there who don't know. And that should break my heart. And it should cause me to want to declare to them with a loud blast how awesome my God is. See, that's trumpets. It's significant. So here's what we're going to do. The Bible also says to be careful how you take communion. The Bible says that for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, until he comes back, we're reminded of death. That's why these trumpets are death, 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 death. What are you going to do about death? What are you going to do about death? What are you going to do about death? Well, well, I know someone that came back from the dead. I got that covered. And he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats or drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. In other words, if you're not thinking about the body of Christ and you're not thinking about what Jesus did for you and his body and his blood, then don't take communion. If you're not a believer, if you don't believe these things, don't take communion. It means nothing. Go home and eat bread and drink wine. This is a moment for the body of Christ to declare something different as a symbol to God. And if you're worried about your sin and, oh my goodness, and you feel terrible, stop. He says he blessed it and gave thanks, and Judas was there. (laughs) Are any of you, like, getting ready to go portray me for 30 pieces of silver to, you know, Bloomington City Parks and Rec? Okay, you're better than Judas. Take communion. (laughs) Praise the Lord. But examine your heart. Go before the Lord and say, I celebrate you today, and help me to celebrate with others who you are. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, we're going to blow this and we're going to take communion. That's, you, I've never done this in church. So here we go. <laughs> Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for the trumpets that announce your glory. And so, Lord, this morning we give you praise and honor for who you are and what you've done that we cannot do ourselves. We thank you that we know that as we see terrible things happen around the world that we have a hope. And you tell us why they happen. They happen so that the world stops going and thinks about you. It gets our attention when other places are hurting and when we see destruction and we start to wonder about the purpose of life. Lord, I pray that if anyone this morning is not confident in the reality of their life, the purpose of their life, the fear of death that's coming for all of us, I pray this morning they would come before you and they would surrender their life to you because you're the only person that's ever come back from the dead other than anyone that you resurrected. You're the one that was the first fruits for this new covenant. And so, Lord, I pray that if anyone here doesn't know you, they would say finally and for all, before you have to truly get their attention and stand before judgment, that they would finally just say, I surrender, knowing that no longer do they have to worry about judgment, but they'll be clothed in white and they'll be waving palm branches and worshiping and enjoying the presence of God. And that's why we practice it here in a thing called a church, a gathered group of people to get ready. 
And so, Lord, get us ready. For those of us who are believers, man, help us to give thanks, to feel your presence and your blessing this morning, and to just celebrate that when we hear the trumpet blast, when we see the things, when we see our own sin and our own devastation and our own mess, we can look at our brothers and sisters in Christ around us, and we can take the blood and the body, the bread and the wine, and remind ourselves we're in this together. So we thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen.